Andrea Tessman, I have a question for you. Oh, what is that? What were you doing on June 20th, 1981? Um, probably drooling and crapping my diapers, to be honest. Let me tell you what the United States was doing <laughs> while, you, while you were taking a dump. <laughs> Sorry for the poor visuals, but you, you've known me a few years. I don't stay class in San Diego. Well, yeah. In the United States, baseball wasn't on. They were on strike. A precursor of what would happen many, 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 many moons after. If you were going to the movies, chances are it was Superman 2, which just came out. Proof that you didn't have to be a good actor to be a superhero. Babe, <laughs> back then, Christopher Reed, come on. I mean, great advocate yeah. for what he for what he became after, and like awesome man, but shitty actor. This is true. Also, Lois Lane, Margot Kidder proved that you didn't have to be attractive to be a hero's. Uh, <laughs> oh come on, that's subjective. Okay, well, my well, my subjective says this, and just for those who have never seen what I look like, I'm a fat Ricky Schroeder. <laughs> yeah, that's a great description. <laughs> Yeah, and he jumped on that a little too fast. But yes, that is sort of true. He would be playing... the If, if the buck would be a motion picture, he'd probably be the first one cast. As much as I would love for it to be Paul Rudd, it wouldn't be. <laughs> All right, so back to 1981. Oh, yes. In Montreal, this was a day, the one-day anniversary of Celine Dion's first appearance on, on television. Local TV, where she sang a French song, which I believe loosely translated it into, for the next 40 years, I'm going to put out crap. <laughs> but I have a good voice while I'm doing it. That she does. I, yes, okay. you know, I, I, I can never insult the voice of Celine Dion. Just the persona. Just the, the persona and just all the melodramatic crap that comes out of it. But if you were listening to music... On the radio, a weird song came out that is either ahead of its time, behind its time. It just doesn't age well. And you picked it. You picked it. I did. You did. For, and this is the great thing, I think, for episode one of the series we'll call, How the Hell Did That Get to Number One? <laughs> and it's Stars on 45 by Stars on 45. By Stars on 45. Yes. <laughs> Uh, now, uh, I was thinking about this, like when I, when we decided this, I went back to listen to the song and I was, I'm pretty sure, and obviously I, I can't prove this, but I, I would imagine that I don't think I've heard the song for 30 years because once it was a hit, you never heard it again. No, I, um, I know I've heard it, but then also you hear all the random components of it all the time because I mean, Beatles. But, yeah, I, uh, I don't know when the last time I've, if ever, I've really heard it uh, in its entirety. I, I don't think it's one of those songs that just sort of goes away. It, it's perfect for that one moment. I don't think it could have ever become a hit in any other time period than this pocket. So, super interesting fact about how it became a hit. Mm-hmm. is it's actually a legal bootleg of an illegal bootleg. So I don't know if you came across it. I did. But there was uh, the, 
this Dutch guy was in a record store, and he happened to hear a disco medley of a bunch of Beatles songs, and then um, a song came up, um, I can't remember which one right now, that he actually owned the mm-hmm. international rights to, and he was like, what the fuck is this? I'm not getting any money for this. So... I think it was 79, and so he started looking into it and figuring out what was going on that was including his music that he didn't uh, wasn't getting royalties for. And it was produced by a bogus publisher. Like, it was just, there was, there was no ties to it. And it turns out it's actually Canadian DJs put this thing out. Why, why do you think and I mentioned so he, Celine Dion? <laughs> Seriously, it was, that, that was, I, I was going somewhere with this, but yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because I was trying to look up, so then you, obviously we, because we both said we were going to do our independent research and just sort of freestyle. Because so if you think yeah. this is a slickly produced show, it's as slickly produced as the actual song that we're talking about. <laughs> oh, well, so these two Canadian DJs, yeah, they, they came out with this, with this, uh, Rip off, basically just you know, um, beat matching, and came up with this this record that they then bootlegged and sent out across the world. And then this guy was like, "Oh hell no, I don't. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna cash in on the success of this bootlegged record." And he literally created a legal version of it, mm-hmm. and it got to number one. Yeah, and I, I think just. Before that, just the the choices, though, that these pair of Michelle's, because it's a guy named Michelle Ali and I'm blanking on the other guy. Michelle Ali, because it's a weird story, because every time I keep going through it, Andrea, it's like different versions. So I'm trying to, like, put it together. I feel like, uh, like, did you watch I, Tanya? And it's like they they came up, like like the, the opening edit said, this is the best story we can come up from the versions that we've heard. Uh-huh. And that's kind of what I feel... With, with this, because apparently this guy, this guy Michelle Ali shows up at and Michelle is G something Gondro yes something yeah, yeah. Gondro but he, he was Ali goes to to this one club where Michelle Gondro was like the lead DJ of a club and apparently he was like the big guy and it made me sort of think of WKRP like these eras where <laughs> you're, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. your local DJ meant something yep. I mean, like, when, when you and I uh, were sort of, like, drinking in the backyard, I mean, like, we couldn't really pick up any radio because we were in the boonies, literally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it, yeah, but if we were to listen to local radio, which we wouldn't have because who does, it would have been Edmonton. And even then, I don't... I don't. Oh, no, no. There was the Eagle that we played at work until I was like, I cannot stand this BS pop music station of oh, like playing everything from the past 50 years but picking one obscure song that was popular and playing it constantly for months on end you know then they went all country how many times does someone have to listen to peaches <laughs> <laughs> so, so that, that, that was the music of the accounting station was it <laughs> it was it was it was yeah, that was like my local radio in Jasper. It was, I think, a Hinton station, yeah. and it was terrible. And, and yes, again, for reference here, yeah, it's two Canadians dissecting American pop culture because, well, we <laughs> thought of it. Because <laughs> why not? I mean, why so not? far in our, 
in our show here, we've talked about Canadian DJs mm-hmm. and the Dutch producers. So I, I think we're, we're pretty good. Yeah, so from what I can tell, the story goes that the DJ wouldn't want to play it until, until, he could start, until they could make it sound better. So whether he actually had something to do with it directly or not, because depending on what I read, he either does or doesn't. What we, I, we can figure out for sure is that he's the one who sort of put it out in the Montreal clubs. And mm-hmm. the amazing thing is the, the track listing didn't change when, no. when, when, the, when it was sort of got heard from the gentleman in the Netherlands we were talking about. And the song in question actually has another bit of history. We might even talk about that. Because the song that he owned was Venus by Shocking Blue. That's right. The first Dutch song to go number one in the United States. Bam! I was really proud of mm-hmm. myself for tying all that stuff in. I, I had no, <laughs> no, no follow-up. <laughs> um, and still an earworm to this day. Uh, yeah. Um, you no, know, like I first heard, I never even heard that initially. Like I heard Bananarama's version first. Like, what do you mean that's a cover? I had no idea. <laughs> Didn't know. So the guy who, who sort of came across it, what's his name? Uh, I'm probably saying it wrong. Yop Egermont. Yop Egermont. And I don't understand the whole country of Netherlands. I was sort of thinking before we went on. The Netherlands has to be a country that everyone knows, but nobody knows anything about. Um, I know they have clogs and excellent cheese and very flat landscape. Which might explain why, you know, with with all the the dikes and the rivers they have, like why they kick ass at long track speed skating. That would make sense. They also have some beautiful tulips. They also have what? Beautiful tulips. That they do. I think it's their number one export. I would have have thought that would have been pot, but I guess there's not much point anymore. (laughs) You can get that anywhere now. That's because you're Canadian. Well, (laughs) yeah, I, I was just a beer drinker in Hellraiser. That's, well, not much of a Hellraiser anymore, but that's another story for another time. And even then, I wasn't much of a Hellraiser. But always a beer drinker. Yes, you were. Yes. Well, yeah. Although it's sober September. Boo. But we'll see how long this goes. So this It's only the first. You've got a long ways to go. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So Yop's an interesting character. So he would have been in his mid-30s when he came across this. And he was, he was a drummer at first, and then he left a band that became... Actually, a, a relatively famous Dutch band, Golden Earring. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I hadn't come across that. Yeah, but so he was a drummer for them, but before they had their big hit, Radar Love. Mm. So I just sort of like uh-huh. imagine him just sort of like upset, you know, when his buddies made it and he's just uh, producing low-level Dutch bands, just anything he could, anything he can get his hands on. Nothing, which wasn't too much. I don't know, I just picture him sort of like there because I found pictures of him and he's got this giant mustache, uh, sort of a curly mullet going on. He would have been 35, but he looks 45. Like just one of those artsy people that we know that just haven't let things go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As was the style in the 70s to uh, early 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he, and so he just took this and made it slicker. Didn't change the order, 
like and, and for this, I should just sort of point out because there was like a long track version and a short track version. He duplicated the long track, and uh-huh. like one thing that sort of stayed the same as. 1981, 1991, 2001, 1971, doesn't matter. A 16-minute song is not going to get record play. No. It's just not. So he kept... No, I mean, look uh, at Bohemian Rhapsody. That's about as long as you can get to actually get some radio traction. And even that, they weren't going to... uh, They weren't going to play on the radio at first. Did did you see Bohemian... You saw the movie? I did. I would have been the Mike Myers character, because... <laughs> I would have been because, like, there is like, there's no way, gentlemen, that this and I, the terrible impression. I know, no way that this would be a hit, and because I would have thought that it, it, it broke every rule. It makes no sense that this song is a hit, and it is. Which yeah, kind of ties into this. How is this a hit? <laughs> so, I mean, I gotta say, I, every Beatles song really fits well with that. That 120 BPM mm-hmm. disco sound. They, none of them sound like disco, but they all fit that same tempo, and it's easy to throw that clap track behind anything to mm-hmm. create a disco sound. So I gotta say, as far as mixing goes, it's pretty late. But then I also have to admit that the technology in 1980 was very different from our. DJ technology these days and it's not like they were playing around with Ableton to get their beats so you know we're we're talking about a different generation and a different technology but I can see how easy it would be to put together a fun you know boppy dance sort of compilation of Beatles music it's as I said it's almost like it's lazy and brilliant at the same time. Oh, for sure, as so much great music is. Maybe not great. So much, um, well, let's say, popular music. <laughs> it, it, but that's sort of like the funny thing. I mean, why do coloring books sell? I mean, like, here, you do all the work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it just... I'll put some lines on a page and, uh, and you do the work. Yeah, why is Goofy red all of a sudden? Well, okay, well, he is. That's how that, it works, however you wanted to do it. So when they when they sort of chose it or decided on the, the short-term, uh, shorter version medley, so they kept Venus, because they owned it, uh, mm-hmm. bled into Sugar Sugar, and this is where I think, and I guess we'll have to sort of give the credit to Ali and uh, Jean Roe, apologies if I'm getting his name wrong, but the two Quebecois. Because they picked the Beatles songs, No Reply, I'll Be Back, Drive My Car, Do You Want to Know a Secret, We Can Work It Out, I Should Have Known Better, Nowhere Man, You're Gonna Lose That Girl. All, not major hits. None of them. And the the reason why I say that is, if you hear, I don't know, Let It Be, or Yesterday in This, I mean, granted they're ballads and they wouldn't work, but those are songs you need. You automatically want to like hear them on their own. You're not going to like stop mm-hmm. what you're doing and just say no. I need to hear the real version as much as you would with this collection. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I 
kind of don't agree with you entirely. Like, Nowhere Man, I think, was... Maybe it's just what I've listened to of the Beatles, but we can work it out. Nowhere Man are, like, quickly pop into my head. Mm-hmm. Have to think a little bit more about, do you want to know a secret? I should have known better, and honestly, I had to look up, you're going to lose that girl. But then... A lot of those ones are also the generic. They all kind of sound the same. Like, they're... I I love the Beatles, but they were prolific, and maybe they shouldn't have been quite so prolific because especially a lot of their mid-years stuff, really, it's all the same key. It's all the same time register. It's just that... 120 BPM, you know, he's a real Noel man. Do you want to know a secret? Did, did you add Sorry. a little Liverpoolian or, accent there? I think you did. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Who knows what I do when I sing badly. But it really, they all tie together. And as you said, they're not the big hits. They're not the, the showstoppers of like, oh, yeah. You hear, you hear some Beatles songs and you think you play the whole song out in your head. None of these are quite there. Mm-hmm. They're just, you know, catchphrases and, and riffs. And a couple of these I don't think were even major hits. I don't think No Reply did particularly well. I don't think so either. Mm. I mean, Baby You Can Drive My Car. Yes, I'm going to be a star. Baby, you can drive my car. And baby, I love you. Like, come on. You're just dialing in the lyrics there. Driving driving in the lyrics? Ooh, ooh. I like Ah. that. I like that. (laughs) But there's a lot of that that era Beatles that is just lazy. Oh, this worked for the last song, so I bet we can put some new lazy lyrics to it and keep going. And... If anybody ever listens to this, I'm probably going to get ripped a new one for hating on the Beatles. But I'm not hating on the Beatles. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm just, you know, expressing that some of their work is lazy. I'll put it this way, Andrea. On the last show I did, somehow I, I, I went from uh, racial tension in sports to Punky Brewster's boobs. <laughs> and I did that in a 60-minute period. So I wouldn't worry about you getting any letters. It's probably all coming to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, glad uh, that we cleared that one up. (laughs) So uh, with Yop, he came out, he knew he had something, or at least he thought he did. I mean, I'm sure he had a lot of, this is going to work moments. Oh, it didn't. This is going to work. Oh, it didn't. But he knew enough about copyright that he couldn't just take what what they did because they used the actual Beatles music. Well, and for those who don't understand copyright, there's generally two copyrights on every song. There is the composer copyright, and there are the performer copyrights. And if you use an original track, you are likely going to have to pay both, whereas sometimes you can get away with not using the original track. Anyway, continue. Yeah, but so that's where he came up with four people who took over the, the sound alikes. Honestly, I had to like, look it up again to make sure it wasn't them. Because it's, it's oh, it sounds they are they really do sound like that. Yeah, so let's see. I had this all written down. Of course, I'm not as prepared. 
So a guy named Hans, you know my brother's named Hans? I did not know that. Yeah, thank God I wasn't named um, Franz. <laughs> uh, Captain Kirk's good. Yeah, that's, you know what, that's what I'm named after. <laughs> Sad but true. So who, who did he get? Okay, so a guy named, uh, actually Hans Vermeulen doing the voice of George Her- of John Lennon. A guy named Oki, I wanted to say Oki Kadoki, but it's not. Oki Husdens as Paul McCartney. Uh, Baz Moyes from from a small band that he was producing called Smile doing John Lennon and he didn't have to worry about getting anyone for Ringo <laughs> nobody worries about Ringo no Maybe Marsh, but beyond that nobody is concerned oh, about Ringo oh very nice reference I hung it on me wall <laughs> <laughs> nice and this is why we get along so Ab- well absolutely absolutely I wonder how many people right now are sort of Googling Marge Simpson and Ringo Starr right now. But allow me to segue. Ringo had the best life of all the Beatles. Yeah, I think so. I mean, talented enough that he can hang with those three, didn't take himself seriously, and he was the only rock star who said, you know what, I can really date out of my league. Paul McCartney said, one leg, hey, hop on in. I don't think he's the only pop rock star to ever date outside of his league. Like, come on. Have no, you but seen Steven Tyler? He was the only Beatle who did. Oh, that's true. Yes. I mean, like, that, that in itself. I mean, like, he was the precursor there. I mean, Rick Ocasek sort of looked at, at Ringo and said, like, yep, this is why I want to be a rock star. I mean, look at Ringo. And Ringo's still alive. <laughs> he's still happy. And he still lo- looks fantastic. Yeah, he looks pretty much the same. Yeah, I mean, and I, I don't know if he's had any work done on his hair, but he still has all of it. If it's plugs, it sure doesn't look like it. The man has no stress. So anyway, <laughs> back to the stars on 45. Okay, yeah, well, that's, that's why you're here to rein me in. Well, yeah, I try. Yeah, so it's quite a bit of work. So they came up with that, and why I think it's sort of this perfect time frame for this to come out, I think we were talking about about the DJs. So DJs, how many DJ, DJs, I'm sure they've heard compilations before, but how many were sort of like playing in, like on the radio stations? This is back when radio had power. Radio could make a song go number one. It can't now, but it could then. Mm-hmm. So how many of these DJs thought, like, shit, why didn't I think of that? That's a very good point, because you're right, radio at the time was the primary distribution method for music. Mm -hmm. It was the easy way to access as many masses as possible. You could play clubs, but you're only getting a certain subject. You could, well, actually, beyond that, there's not a lot of other ways at the time. No, there really wasn't. MTV was six weeks away. It hadn't happened yet. Yeah. Yeah. When MTV was actually about music. Those were the days. They were. They were. Of course, we had much music, the lazy, lazy brother. Yeah, but much music had some good stuff. Come on, what about pop-up video? Pop-up video, wasn't that a a VH1 thing? Was it VH1? I thought it was much music. I don't know. Yeah, because we take everything from the States. Not everything. That's not true. true. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that at another time. It will definitely come up because this is a Canadian view of an American perspective. 
Canadian view of an American perspective. Does that make sense? Well, it does so because it's my show. And so, like, I go back to the time frame. So, like, when they sort of had that opening riff that they created, uh, you can disco, you can boogie. I might have the, that backwards. But you're mentioning two words, boogie and disco, that were taboo almost immediately. Because disco was died almost at the end of 79. And they say that Funky Town was the last true number one hit from the disco genre, which happened in 1980. I argue that it's this song. Because it tapped into a lot of people who still didn't want disco to die. And you went back back further, tapping into a whole Beatles nostalgia. John Lennon was only dead for six months. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's totally tapping into to that nostalgia factor. Right, so it's like immediate nostalgia. And you didn't have to worry about Yoko Ono making any of the money. <laughs> and... It was, again, before MTV, because there was no video for this. So it wouldn't have that to sort of propel it. So it was only on top for one week. Before it, it was Kim Carnes, Betty Davis Eyes. Before that, it was Kim Carnes, Betty Davis Eyes. I don't ever want to cover Kim Carnes. I hope we don't. (laughs) I I don't know what the hell I'd really talk about with her. I I don't know. She's just there. Yeah, that song is pretty, pretty much just there. And I remember as a kid, like, she's got Betty Davis eyes and finding out what Betty Davis looked like. Okay, is this a compliment? I don't, is it? I don't think so. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure it meant bedroom eyes, but I'm not entirely positive. Yeah. The, I, no, I'm not. I'm definitely not the person to really discuss. <laughs> no, we're not talking about Betty Davis eyes. No, no, we're not. <laughs> so this, this became a hit. And so what do you do? What do you do when you come up with the formula? You mass produce it until nobody wants to hear it anymore. Yes. I mean... I teed up that yeah. softball because I knew you'd hit it all out of the park. But that's, that's the truth. I mean, you look at any good, like, any good, good craze, they just overdo it to the point that you just want to poke your eyeballs or eardrums out. And I don't, I don't blame uh, Egermont for doing this. I mean, what else is he going to do? He's got something that's going to work. I think he's smart enough to know that this wasn't going to stick. But if he's going to make some extra money on it, do it. Yeah. Hey, I, I think it's brilliant. Honestly, I think it's cheesy as hell. Um, but I think that, that it's a smart way of capitalizing on, you know, a half-dead genre like like okay disco's on its way out but it's easy mm-hmm. and Beatles probably were having slight resurgence at that point because of Lennon's death so okay throw in your own song that you uh, have the rights to and then pay for the the rights to have sound alike produce the peppy, dance-worthy, short-play record. Like, it's it's smart if you can capitalize on it. And if the version of the story is true that there were, you know, that this, this mix was already circulating, and then he just produced it legally to, mm-hmm. to make money off of it, well, that, that is honestly just really good business sense. 
I, I always imagined, or not always, because obviously I just only thought about this for one week. But now I imagine Michelle Ali, the guy who who we think came up with this idea and almost the same track listing. When he heard the song hit it big, like two years two years after, he I, picture him sort of like drowning in Labatt Blue, the official beer of Quebec. Don't sleep on that beer, kids. It's a great beer. Is that the official beer of Quebec? I don't know, but it, I do there, not know that. The la- it may not be. The last few times I've, I've had the, I've gone to Quebec, there's just a lot of Labatt. I remember that as a kid. That when you go to the beer store, because like back in Ontario, back in the day, you, if you wanted beer, there's only one place you go, and it was called the beer store. And pretty much it was either a Molson product or a Labatt product. Oh, for true. Yeah, and like now it's sort of different than the last few times I went to Quebec. I kept picking up these giant tall boys that were like one one and a half liter and then ten point two alcohol or whatever. Oh, oh are you talking about like La Femme de Monde and no, and no, 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 actual Labatt blue. Ones? What? No, actual Labatt blue, not La Femme de Monde. Oh, really? Yes. That's crazy. Um, I mean, in Canada, we're pretty proud of our beer, as you well know. Mm-hmm. But I'm so grateful that we have good beer now, and not just uh, the Molson and Labatt product, which I believe Labatt may have been bought by Molson years ago, but I'm not positive. I think so. But in BC, I think Kokanee is our BC beer, just because it's uh, brewed in southern BC. You know, I'll, I'll blow your mind here. You know what the number one selling beer is in Canada? What? Bud Light. Oh, I believe it. Not terrible. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. So segueing from beer, and I'm the master of segues, from beer to stars on 45. <laughs> yeah, this was a hit everywhere. Australia, Austria, France, Denmark, Spain, Germany, Ireland, New Zealand. Sweden didn't go to number one in the UK. Only went number two there, and it probably went more number ones. This is just what I can find. But that was oh, Swiss, did I say Switzerland? Mm, I don't think you did. So okay, Switzerland. Switzerland. Yeah, actually, I meant to say Switzerland, not Sweden. Sweden went to only number seven. But that was pretty much it. For, you know, for them, they they put out Medley Two, which is another thing of the Beatles. Only went to number sixty-seven in the US. But then they just kept churning it out. Uh, they did a George Harrison medley, only released in Australia. Uh-huh. More a medley on ABBA. That one actually did okay, number two in the UK. Didn't chart in the US, but if you're going to do a medley of anyone after the Beatles, actually, wouldn't it be ABBA first now? Well, especially because, yeah, yeah, uh, ABBA would make sense. Uh, didn't they do a Stevie Wonder one as well? Yes. They did okay? Yeah, uh, in 82. So they did that. But by that time, a bunch of other people were doing the same thing. So apparently, and I say apparently because it's – the music history says it started a medley craze, but I don't remember any of these other medleys. I remember none of them. But then we already established that I was just a wee babe suckling on my mother's teeth. So um, – I certainly don't remember Stars on Frankie, which was Frank Sinatra, or... That sounds awful. Um, what else was there? Oh, there was a... There was a... There was... The... The Andrews Sisters remix at yeah. one point. Yeah, I saw that. Like, I, I didn't even want to look for it. 
it's like, I don't even know how you do that. I, maybe they did well. I don't know. I, I didn't. I didn't really want to know any more than what what I've already learned. Uh, I know they did one for the Rolling Stones, and I'm sure that didn't work well. Well, maybe it did. I don't know. The Rolling Stones one? No, that didn't seem to work. The I think the Stevie Wonder one was, and after the ABBA one, the Stevie Wonder one was the only one that actually got some traction. It did, yeah. It but did uh, pretty good from, from what I could see. Churning them out until, what, 2007 with the Andrews Sisters. Yeah, and at that point, it didn't cost them much. There was uh, something that didn't make it anywhere. But, yeah. Let's just keep producing crap on top of crap and see if anybody likes it. The problem is, anybody can do beat matching and do music compilations these days. I mean, we all have way better technology in our pockets with our phones. Like, I can set my Spotify access to meld songs into each other, pretty much. So you add some some basic technology, and nobody wants to hear your compilations anymore. No. Because we can all make our own with songs we want to hear, and pretend that we're club DJs. Do you think, and this is sort of what, what, what I really wanted to sort of ask more than, because it's sort of like, boggles my mind I mean I think we've established how this became a hit but is this song influential DJs now have I mean they're completely reinvented from what a DJ is in 1981 to what one is now now a DJ can sell an arena which is mind blowing just I think it was Bill Burr who said like that's another Dutch guy too so go figure it, actually, it is. Um, Junkie XL. Also, not a whole lot of talent, and just using some pretty basic, uh, and some trance is its own genre of, let's get a bunch of people high and play the same beats over and over, and just slow them down, and then go again. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's a totally different show. Yeah, well, um, I, I think it was like what is it? I, Bill Burr, I believe, said, "What I'm going to go pay money to go watch somebody like uh, play his computer?" Like, I don't think so. I personally do actually have a lot of love for EDM, but there's a big difference between music creators and music replayers. I mm-hmm. guess would be the thing. And there's there's a lot of crap out there, and unfortunately, most of the mainstream stuff is crap in my opinion um, but that being said I'm, I'm torn with how influential that, that came out well I'm torn with how influential this, this recording is because on the one hand it really does seem like it was the first compilation that really made it mainstream but if they were playing this shit in clubs already and they were, mm-hmm. and any half-decent club DJ would have been mixing and remixing and doing exactly this. I honestly think that this was just capitalizing on the times and mm-hmm. on what was going on 
to get to number one, and I don't think it had any real influence long-term on what people were playing or doing. No, I, I agree with you. Uh, I can't even say that it influenced sampling, because that was happening in uh, the Urban Centers with the New York City-based DJs well before that. And even oh, on the sure. charts... Uh, Disco Sugar Hill. was sampling in the in yeah. the early seventies already. Right, right, and I, I always keep thinking of like one of the first samples that I'm really aware of. You know, Sugar Hill Gang sampling uh, in Rapper's Delight, uh, Sheik's Good Times, which was only like two two years before that. So it's not like this influences sampling. It's like here is something that was massively successful, but I think it just influenced other people to churn out crap. Yeah. And this isn't even really sampling, because a good DJ that's sampling Mm -hmm. takes a hook, takes a riff, they take part of that song and incorporate it into what they're doing. This is literally just splicing and beat matching, which every single wedding and party DJ these days can do with their eyes shut, because they're software does it for them mm-hmm. but even if you've got some even if you've got some vinyl and you're actually working on turntables i suck at trying to dj i've you know played around on some friends decks a few times i can beat match it's not that hard and that's all they're really doing and adding in a crappy little intro and outro of this is disco and yeah I, I think you're absolutely right. It just encouraged other people to put out crap. Yeah, it, it didn't but push a needle. No, there's no progression into this. It's not like we can take this and say, because of this, we got this. Nope. We can no, say... That. Because of this, we yeah. got more of this. More of this. Which, nobody really wanted to hear. Yeah, nobody wanted it. Uh, it was just the perfect thing for that perfect time for people who weren't quite ready to let disco go. And I remember the nine-year-old me thought this was fun. Because I'd never heard anything like that before. Just one boom, 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 boom. I knew who the Beatles were. But, I mean, if you're appealing to a nine-year-old and his mom, who's like, oh, I remember the Beatles, (laughs) that's not cool. (laughs) Well, and the funny thing is, when when I, you know, looked up the song and I looked at it on YouTube and the comments and stuff, Mm. they were all people that were like, oh my God, I remember listening to this as a kid. Or I remember when I was in elementary school and I got to go to the music station and this is what I played all the time. It was, it was little kids commenting on it, probably because their bored housewife moms bought the record and played it. Or or in my case, it was just on the radio all the time. And it's silly. What? Well, no, radio saying, on. Yeah, well, yeah, because it was on, it was on the radio. Like that was uh, we listened to this Hamilton station uh, when I was growing up in Burlington, and like it was like the, the pop station, and I was I remember that it was. And I, I think I saw the same. I went to the same thing you you did. I was looking at the YouTube comments, and I noticed the same pattern. All people probably mm-hmm. my age who remember it, and then not very many comments at all, which meant yeah. no, not many people were actually watching. You know, searching this out. Wasn't for this show, I wouldn't be searching that out. No, I wouldn't have even thought about it, except for the fact that uh, we decided we would pick something from the year I was born, Mm -hmm. and then this came up as a fun option. And it was. So it it was. I think this is a a perfect song to sort of debut with because we're going to be going through a cornucopia of cheese. 
it really displays the overall, well, just how much the environment and, and um, you know, greed influences what we listen to. And I, I think if we keep exploring this in different eras, we'll find a lot more of that. So, a lot of okay. what plays the people's base instinct and what, uh, what makes money. Because yeah, that's the sort of the interesting thing, too. And uh, one thing that I always sort of like want to remember when we're doing this, it's not necessarily what people think might make money at the time or just even like what a genre is. Pop is just short for popular. So this was the number one song encompassing everything, regardless of genre. Yep. Which is crazy because it is literally just snippets of music that was already popular. So then for, so Andrea, have I, have I done this well enough that I can have you back for a second song? I think we could do that. Okay. So I'd like to challenge for this for my year, my birth year, 1972. And yes, I'm old. I'm very old. I'm going to be 50, <laughs> but I have all my hair and most of it's still the original color. And from the neck up, I didn't do too bad. The neck down is a different story. The waist down is worse. Too, too much was it okay yeah probably hey, i mean this is why we're a podcast because uh nobody's judging on appearance <laughs> i already 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 pretty much established that i'm a hard four that might have <laughs> multiple meanings and that wasn't really going there with that but okay but um bump <laughs> do we go with a good song from 72 or a bad one i've got what depending on what you decide i've got the perfect one for a good one and the perfect one for a bad one. Up to you. I don't know. I think maybe we should go with a good one because oh. we kind of just went with a not great one. Mm-hmm. All right. So I mean, I've got I've, then I've got the I've, one for you because I already knew which one it was going to be, whether you picked good or bad. Okay. All right. Are you going to tell me what it is? I'm going to tell you what it is. Next week, we will look at this song that went to number one the day after I was born. Brandy, you're a fine girl, looking glass. Oh, I like it. Yes. And even relevant today from Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, good call. I like it. And with that, we've concluded week one of how the hell did this get to number one? <laughs> <laughs>